You're listening to Out of Line with Caroline Lee, exploring offline realities with online personalities. Justina Blakeney is everyone's favorite interior goddess and guru. Designer, illustrator, author of the New York Times bestseller, The New Bohemians, and soon to be released, New Bohemians Handbook. She's also the birth giver to the empire known as the Jungalo. She's a wife, a mom, and also manages to keep over 50 plants alive. I still don't know how she does it all. Justine and I both live in LA, but hopped on a phone call in the midst of our days of hustling to have this chat. All righty. Hey, lady. It's so uh, amazing and fun to get to actually talk to you because this is one of those things that I wish that I could see you and talk to you like every week for coffee. But who has time for that? So <laughs> thanks for making time to I do know, this. I know we're neighbors, too. It's even worse that we don't have time to get together. I know. Right across the river from one another. I know. It's really sad. So the last time I think I saw you when we actually had time for a coffee was years ago. And since then your empire has just like quadrupled and everything that you do seems to be something totally original and unique and amazing. And so I'm just excited that you're taking time to chat about stuff that isn't work stuff. Thank you. No, I was was excited that you asked me. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So, so tell me, like, is there ever, is there ever a thing? I know that you're someone who you're a mom, you're a wife, you're a designer, you're all of your, you're so many things and you wear so many hats. um, And yet, you know, the content that you're making and that you're putting out on an hourly basis that seems so, so it's like it's flowing from you effortlessly. Um, and yet I, I'm, I'm wondering, is there, is there ever something that you go to t- start talking about online or feels really real to you in your own human experience and reality that just doesn't seem like something that fits really naturally to talk about online? Well, I, you know, when you, when you first reached out to me about doing this podcast, I thought about that question quite a bit. Um, because I do feel like I'm very transparent with my audience and that if something's kind of like going on in my life or in my head and, and it's not something that I feel like I need to keep for myself or for my family or private in in that way, I share it. So in a way, I, I feel like my audience has a sort of a, a clear, I feel like I can talk about anything with my audience is, is I guess is I guess what I mean. And that having been said, I, I sometimes feel like starting certain conversations opens floodgates for a kind of rhetoric that I just don't necessarily want to invite mm. on my channels. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it it might be something that's on my mind or, or something, you know, that's happened to me. It's like, you know, sometimes I'll want to talk about it and share. And I do that when I feel like either a, I can help somebody who's maybe going through something similar, or if I sort of feel like I just can't keep quiet about it for, for one reason or another. But, but if, if those aren't really the, if that's not really the case, I, you know, my, my, my blog is about design and, and creativity and inspiration and, um, and my channels on social media are also about those things. So I try to stick to those topics more or less, unless, yeah, I've got sort of this little burn in my belly to, <laughs> to talk about, to talk about something else. So in a way, I, I think that, the, the different topics that I might want to talk about today with you that are sort of outside of that are not things that would surprise my audience that I'm interested in talking about. Mm. Um, it's just, it's just more stuff that 
I just don't necessarily want my my whole brand to to be a, a talking point about race or or about body image, mm. um, even though those those topics are important to me. And I think everyone would agree um, they come up, you know, periodically in my social feeds anyway, because they are important enough to me that I do sort of talk about them. So, yeah. <laughs> That was long-winded. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. And I think um, it is, you know, just as someone who follows you and has kind of witnessed the evolution of your of your feeds, there is so much honesty as knowing you in real life and knowing you online. There is, you know, even when you post stories, it's, it's you being you. Um, and that isn't a common experience that I have, even with a lot of my friends and colleagues who are known online. I know a very different reality version of them to what I know online. So I love that it's almost, I don't know if, I don't know if I would, you would say, use the word like gotten permission, but it's like your audience has given you permission. Like you've asked for permission as they've grown to be the real you and they've kind of, they expect that. And so if all of a sudden you came out and said, I want to talk about this and it was anything, they would probably they would probably go with it. it. Is that is that kind of your experience, or have you ever had them like be real mad? <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually haven't had experiences of like them being quote real mad, but I also would maybe be. I think I would phrase it differently. I think um, you you said you know kind of like ask permission from my audience, and I that feels off. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't ask permission from my audience, um, and and a lot of bloggers do. A lot of, of, of people who have large social media followings um, are constantly asking their audience if this is okay and this is what they're doing and they hope it, that they find it this way or that way. And, and I don't do that. I feel like it's, it's like people will follow me if they like what I'm doing and they're interested in what I'm doing. And if they stop being interested in what I'm doing, then they'll stop following me. But I don't want to have to ask permission if like, you know, what I what I'm doing is, is cool with them or something like that. And I will say that I feel like I have a very generous audience. Like I very rarely get negative feedback. Um, I, I, I am very transparent and, and I, you know, I try to be my most authentic self. And therefore I think when I do feel like there's any blowback or anything like that, that I think a lot of bloggers, sometimes are concerned about and so therefore don't necessarily take risks with what they talk about or how they show themselves. I feel like that, that just brings me closer to my audience, Hmm. you know, and, and everybody tells me when they meet me in person and has been following, you know, the blog for a long time is, Oh, you're, you're exactly like you, (laughs) like you seem like you would be, you know, there's, there's no disconnect. Hmm. And, and so I think, I think because of that, like, yeah, I mean, I, I can talk about, lots of different issues. And I don't necessarily think that there will be very many surprises for people Mm. if they've been following me for a long time and like, you know, read, you know, read my more personal posts and stuff like that. So, right. And I don't know, I don't know about you and maybe this is an interesting thing to hear your, your take on, but sometimes I get that feedback as well. And to me, that kind of feels like the highest compliment because to me, it seems like what I put online and what I put out in into the, you know, realm of online domain does feel real to me and I care about it. And I try to 
put a balance of like the real stuff and the really pretty stuff. And so when someone yeah. says like, wow, you're exactly like you are online, I'm like, oh my gosh, that that is like my ultimate dream to have there be consistency and truth because I don't want to have two disconnected realities that have nothing to do with each other, you know? Totally. I, I feel like it's very complimentary as well. And I also would say that I've also met a lot of people who are very different from their online personalities than they are in real life. Um, but, and sometimes I'm like, wow, online, you're awesome. And offline, you suck or something <laughs> like that. But, but, um, but most of the time, what I find is that if there is a disconnect, it's not necessarily a disconnect between sort of like values or who they are. It's more of like a disconnect of volume, I almost want to say. Mm. Like sometimes people are very shy in real life, but don't seem shy when you know them from from the internet. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like sometimes I think the internet gives people permission in a way to feel a little bit more like they can express themselves. Yes. And in real life, sometimes those same people don't feel that way. Mm. And so anyway, it's a little tangential, but I guess my point is, is that I do feel like it's a compliment because I want to be the same as I am online as I am off. But I do think that some people don't want to, or, or that's not their thing. Yeah. It's almost like a Colbert kind of situation where they like have a persona. Yes. And and that's cool too. You know, it's just a different vibe from from my vibe. Yeah. So on all of I, I love tangents, so you're always welcome to tangent all you want. I love rabbit trails. But um going back <laughs> to what you were originally saying in terms of, you know, race and, and body image, what role does that play in your online versus offline life? Um, yeah, I'd love to hear you talk more about that. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because you can't like divorce yourself from yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't divorce, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like for me, you know, I can't post a picture of myself without making a comment on body image. Um, and I can't post a picture of myself without making a comment on race or, or pictures of my team or something like that. And it's so interesting how these things become politicized online and, um, and sometimes I think for the better and sometimes I think not. So for me, you know, if I post a vacation pic of myself in a bikini, I'm making a statement about body image and mm. about, you know, some of my most popular posts, which is really funny because I very sort of rarely in the grand scheme of things post selfies or pictures of myself. But when I do, there's always a lot of comments and a lot of you go girls and a lot of. Like, you know, I wish I was as confident as you or those types of comments, which is very flattering and awesome and also kind of sad and weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that someone who feels okay about the way they look posting a picture of themselves should be something that's like applauded as courageous or something like that. Mm. Um, when... Uh, I don't think it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So your energy, when you walk into a room, like you're, you're this like goddess. And I've heard people say like, you're like an Amazonian goddess. Like you, you just have this like larger than life presence. It's not like anyone would ever be around you and be like, wow, she's, she's not comfortable in her skin. That's not real. That is not Justina. So was that ever, was that ever a journey for you? Was that something that you personally, you know, went through a process of learning to self-love or is it just mostly 
like you said, kind of sad and weird that you do love yourself. And when you post as you are, people think it's courageous. Well, you know, it's so like self-confidence and, and body image and, and all that stuff is, is so complex. And I feel like I have always had a pretty decent sense of self. And I definitely think that part of that comes from my cultural heritage. Um, I'm half, I'm, I'm half black and half Jewish. And I just, I think in both of those cultures, or maybe just in my family, uh, in those cultures, I'll put a, a little ring around that. Um, it's, it's not necessarily like the ideal body is a thin body necessarily. Mm. Um, and I feel like, especially living in Los Angeles, like if you lose a few pounds, all you're going to hear from like everyone around you is, Oh my God, you look amazing. You look amazing. What'd you do? You look amazing. You look amazing. And even when I'm like working out more or, you know, watching what I eat more, regardless of how I feel, I feel how you look is very much correlated with like your weight, Mm. um, in general. And, and I didn't grow up really with those kinds of frames around beauty and, and body image. Um, I've always dated guys that liked thicker girls. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for real, you know, and it was like, you know, and having a little belly and having a little booty and having boobies and stuff were not necessarily like, something that was like, Oh, you need to lose weight. It just wasn't like that. It was like, Oh, we like having something to hold on to. So I think I just, (laughs) maybe I got lucky, um, with sort of my family and then the guys who were either attracted to me or who I was attracted to growing up, but I never really felt bad about the way I look. And I think I I just wasn't as hard on myself Mm. and, and also just really busy. (laughs) Yeah, I've always been busy. And I feel like a lot of times people who fret a lot about their looks or, you know, other things like that, it's like, well, if, if you were like super busy, you probably wouldn't be tripping off of it that much. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, it's, there's something very true to be said about that. Like you're too busy hustling and, you know, painting and dreaming up your next, you know, chair that you're designing to be. Not that not that I'm speaking for you, but just coming from observing you, it feels like you're not just sitting around being like, do people what do people think of my body shape when I walk in a room? You're like, (laughs) girl, I got shit to do. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a big thing. And that's not to say that I never struggle, you know, and that I never look in the mirror and like, you know, wonder how pregnant I look today, even though I'm not at all pregnant. Um, (laughs) We all we all have issues. I'm not like immune from, from, you know, not feeling great, you know, some of the time. Yeah. I just think that I'm a little bit more gentle with myself. I I just, sometimes I hear women talk the way they talk about themselves and I'm just like, dang girl, like let up a little bit. You're being kind of mean to yourself. Mm. And I just, I don't want to treat other people that way. So I definitely don't want to treat myself that way. Mm. And you know, I think it's really easy, especially with social media to like fall down these rabbit holes. And and I do it all the time also where like, you're all of a sudden in your discover feed, and you like, see some girl wearing a bikini. And like, you don't know why you're clicking on it. But like, you find yourself clicking on it. And then you're like scrolling through her feed. And it's some random stranger. And you're like, you know, what am I doing? <laughs> like, 
looking at this person's curly hair or looking at this plus size model and her outfits or whatever the different like rabbit hole that you end up going down is. And, you know, inevitably you, or I should speak for myself, I, you know, compare myself. Oh, well, oh yeah. She's making that shake. Oh, well maybe I should try that shake. (laughs) You know, this, that, the other, but, but ultimately like with the, with the body image stuff, it's like, I think I look all right. You know, it's, it's like, it's not that serious. Yeah. And I think I look pretty cute and it's, and it's fine. It's like, you know what I mean? It's, it's just like, if I spent all the, I just, I feel like I, I hear women like agonizing it about, about body image and, and stuff like that, like so much, mm. you know? And, and in some ways it, it, I think it can kind of like creep in on you and sort of like take over, take over. You know, like it just saddens me when, um, you know, I'll hear other moms talking about, oh, well, you know, I don't want to go to the beach because, well, you know, I just, I don't feel good about myself right now. And I'm like, dude, how are you going to let that like stop you from going to the beach? Yeah. Yeah. And, and (laughs) as a mom, I mean, as a mom, like you're a mom, I'm not, but as a mom that also, I I, I was listening to like a nine-year-old girl this week. We were, we were out to eat together and, and she ordered a salad because she was like, I start school in a week and I'm, you know, I'm really, yeah. And I know. And I was like, how are you nine years old? And where is this coming from? You know? And so for you as a mom and for you as someone who is, people look to you, Um, you know, even just you changing that conversation in any sort of way of being like, like you said before, it was so beautiful, just having grace for yourself and being gentle with yourself. I think you use the word gentle. Um, and that's, it's, it feels so basic. Like, I just want to be like hashtag basic, but it's not basic. It's not. It's It's not. not basic. I mean, like I said, I get it. I definitely, it's not like I am like, in love with myself a hundred percent of the time. And I look at myself when I'm like getting out of the shower, it, actually we got a full length mirror for the first time uh, <laughs> brave. two weeks ago. So brave. Two weeks ago. We haven't had one. I, I like haven't looked at myself in the mirror and like got out of the shower the other day. I have this full length mirror. I'm like looking at myself and I'm like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> damn. You're really, you're really embracing those curves, aren't mm. you, Jen? Hey, um, hey, get it, get it. You know, it's like, it's fine. It's like, it's, it's all good. It's like, yeah, you know, I could definitely exercise more and I could definitely eat better and I could have less cellulite and I could, you know, not wear granny underwear and <laughs> shave my armpit. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, don't. And, and, and that Too would far. probably like, you know, that would be cool. And I'd probably feel like a little bit better about myself, <laughs> but ultimately like what, you know, how much I weigh and, and how big my tummy is at a given time or, or how much it sags down over my C-section scar or any of those things doesn't define who I am as a person. It doesn't define who I am as a woman. And it doesn't even define what I feel like when I'm, you know, up in front of a crowd of 500 people talking about design or at some kind of business meeting. You know, it's just like I can't afford to let that be something that prohibits me from having fun, being a good mom, being a good designer, uh, being a good person, you know, and, and I think the mom thing is super key too. I mean, I never heard my mom talk shit about herself Mm. and we have a very similar figure 
and since like becoming a woman, I've heard so many women just complain, oh, and there's like this, there's a, there's a ribbon of fat over my knee, you know, size two girls talking about, well, I feel fat for me. I'm like, you're 105 pounds and five foot nine. Like you're good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but the thing is, is that we're all good. And like the, there are so many conversations that ensue on social where it's like so easy to get stuck in these traps of reading all these comments and people love to harp on, oh, but it's not healthy. If you're fat, you know, you know, you're, you're not being healthy. You're not being healthy. And it's so funny to me because everyone's like so concerned with everyone else's health, but not really. Right. (laughs) But I mean, right. I mean, like all you have to do is get people talking about socialized healthcare and people are like, oh, take care of yourself. No, we're not, we're not here. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, you know what, you know, if people really gave two shits about taking care of other people, then there would be single payer healthcare in this country and there isn't. So everyone can calm down about thinking, you know, worrying about a girl's health. You know, if she posts a picture of herself in a bikini and she doesn't, you know, wear a size four. Uh, yes. Retweet, preach, claps, (laughs) all of it. I love it. I mean, I'm sure that with your daughter watching you just be you, she's picking up on attitudes and ways of doing life. But is that something that you ever talk about with her or is she still young enough that it doesn't really come up? Like, have you guys ever talked about either race or body things together? Um, we talk about them as they come up and it's always delicate and weird. Mm. Um, and you know, there are moments where like, I remember, so my daughter's five for those of you who might be listening, who don't, don't know my story. She just turned five. Her name is Ida. She's starting kindergarten next week, actually. Oh, um, and she'll th- say things like, you're chubby mama. Or you have a, you have a fat belly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like these kind of things. And I'm like, okay, how do I deal with this in a way that, um, kind of shows her what's sort of like culturally appropriate or something, but how to deal with it in a way that's culturally appropriate, mm. but also doesn't give her the idea that like chubby is like a bad word. Right. Right. And so like kind of owning my chubbiness so one of my uh (laughs) one of my responses to her if she she says like oh you know you have a chubby belly I'll say like yeah isn't it cute and soft (laughs) (laughs) I love that (laughs) you know like a teddy bear you know what I mean just kind of like reframing these ideas of all these different shapes have their own kind of cuteness Mm. You know, and there isn't just one kind of shape that's the right kind of shape. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've seen also too many moms and dads, you know, say things like, um, you know, oh, don't, you know, don't say that. Don't, don't call somebody that. That's not nice. You know, so it's already framing. Like it's a bad thing. Or something. Like it's something really, you know, bad and mean or something. And it can be. So it's like a tricky situation. But, um, but at the same time, um, I think it's an, a really important discussion to have, uh, early on. And as far as the race question goes, so again, I'm, I'm biracial. Um, my, my dad's black and my mom's, um, white of 
Eastern European Jewish descent. So I grew up, I'm, I'm bluish, basically half black, half Jewish. <laughs> and, um, and, and my husband is, you know, he's basically, you know, a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like to define himself that way. So if he listens to this podcast, sorry, babe. Uh, he's of the human race. Mm. Um, but, uh, but just to give you a sense of sort of what my daughter looks like, you know, she's got a little bit of flavor, but you know, her dad's white and I'm half white. So do the math. Um, and so in talking about race, it's really interesting because, um, I remember on MLK day, she was asking some questions about Martin Luther King cause she was hearing a lot about it. And so trying to like explain to her that, 60 years ago, um, there was this guy who helped fight for, for rights for all people, because you know how some people have dark, cause she, you know, you don't even know if they notice this kind of stuff. Mm. You don't even know if they notice that some kids are darker than other kids. Like they notice the weirdest things. So you also don't necessarily want to like draw too much attention to something. Right. Like, right. And be like, you, you're different. Right. Like, mm. like, um, so, you know, I'll say like, well, you know how I'm kind of brownie. And you know how, like, Papa Charles, that's my dad, has, like, kind of darker skin? And uh, and you know how, you know, your other grandma, like Grandma Toots, has, like, lighter skin? You know, and, and just, and then the second you start explaining this stuff to a four-year-old, you start realizing how crazy it is. So you're like, yeah, so the people with the lighter skin weren't being very nice to the people with the darker skin. <laughs> oh. Are you guys okay? <laughs> oh. Like, like it sounds like, you know, there's like the Dr. Seuss story, the Sneeches, and they have bellies with stars, and some of them don't have stars upon Mars, and it's like, and they have this big fight, you know? And it, it sounds like that. It sounds it sounds absolutely crazy. Yeah, when insane. You break it. You're like, like, why? Wait, so you couldn't drink out of the same water fountain if you had darker skin? Like, mama, I don't get it. I'm like, yeah, I don't get it either. So, yeah, I mean, discussing this stuff with with a little one is um, tricky and uh, delicate. And I'm learning and learning what works and what doesn't and trying different things and asking for help from my parents who are amazing and developmental psychologists and always have answers to these kinds of hard questions. So, Oh my gosh, they sound amazing. I know I've met, I think I met your dad at one at a, maybe a Santa Monica launch once um, and he was really rad. So yeah, but that sounds amazing. So they, as raising you, even as a mixed race marriage, did they talk about it? Was that something even for you growing up? Was that something that was on your mind or was it kind of like you were saying where unless you brought it up, it wasn't really talked about? Well, you know, it's hard for me to sort of delineate when race started to become an issue in my life, but I I can say it was, I was pretty young and I think already now things have changed so much, but you know, I grew up in Berkeley, which is a very multicultural city. It's a very liberal city, lots of mixed kids just in general, but still I felt sort of like an anomaly. Um, There weren't a lot, you know, compared to other groups, there weren't a ton of mixed people. And I've always sort of gravitated towards other mixed people the same way other people of a single race might gravitate towards people of the same race. Yeah. Um, sort of like we face a similar, um, 
struggle isn't really the right word, but we just, we have something immediately in common, like belonging to, you know, two or more cultures mm. and, and what that means and what that feels like and, and how you might code switch between, between the different cultures and, and what it means to have two families that are sort of radically different culturally or otherwise. And I think all families deal with that to a certain extent when you bring two families together you know, there's always going to be lots of cultural differences, no matter even if they're this, of the same race. But I think in my family, because they're different races, different religions, it's, there's a lot of difference between the two families. And I think in many ways, for me, it was, it, it was isolating at times. I went to a, a Jewish elementary school, uh, like a private elementary school that you know, had Hebrew lessons and and Judaica studies and all that kind of stuff. And I always felt like an outsider there being sort of the only person of color in my class Mm. or the only person that sort of defined myself that way. And and even in, in elementary school, I defined myself that way. I felt different from everybody else in many ways and was treated differently sometimes. Like I definitely have memories of teachers asking me like, oh, well, are you Jewish? You know, sort of confused. Um, and that, that had a lasting effect on me. I was like, you know, here I am thinking I'm the same as all these other kids. My mom is Jewish and, you know, in, in Jewish religion, the, the Jewishness is along a a maternal line. So I'm thinking, yeah, my mom's Jewish, just like your mom's Jewish. We're all the same. And I, I, so from a kind of an early age, I started to realize, well, people are looking at me differently, Mm. no matter how I see myself. Um, and, and so that was probably the first time I was like, okay, I'm, I'm different. Then I started in high school. I went to Berkeley high and it was a public high school, big high school, lots of all different kinds of kids. And I found myself wanting, feeling like I wanted to hang out with, you know, more African-American kids more people who I felt like might feel more like me, but felt sort of immediately ostracized by that community at that school, mostly having to do with the fact that they already had their homies and their cliques and all that. I mean, it was high school. Mm. They all came from the same public schools. I was coming from some private school. No one knew who I was. I, you know, between quotes, talked white (laughs) and lived in the hills and, and all that. So it was like, I was an outsider in many ways, um, both in the Jewish community and in the African-American community, and therefore really identified as mixed and sort of found a kind of homely crew of other mixed folks to hang out with. (laughs) And, and it was mixed everything. Like one of my really good friends was half Chinese, half Japanese, but she really felt mixed too. You know, her families on both sides had ostracized her immediate family, you know, because of the tension between the Japanese culture and Chinese culture. Wow. Um, So it's, it it runs so deep, you know what I mean? But I definitely sort of grew up feeling a little bit in between. And now as an adult, you know, I'm 38. I lived abroad for 10 years. So I lived in Italy and Switzerland. And, you know, I I think that was sort of me wanting to feel like a total outsider. (laughs) Yeah, that'll do it. Nowhere. Like I could let my freak flag fly and be just a completely different, like so many people who I met in Italy had never met a Jew, never hung out with 
a black person. Really? You know what I mean? So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, 100%. Lots of people, not even like few and far between, lots and lots of people wow. I met. Um, that was the case. And, and I was American, which was another thing. And, you know, so I think, um, you know, my identity journey has been really interesting, as I think it is for, for everyone, but especially maybe particularly for, for people who, who have um, who are multiracial or, or multicultural. And I think as a social media personality and blogger or whatever, being in the public eye in the way that I am, it's really interesting because there aren't that many of us. Yeah, that's so true. That was that was one of the things I was going to ask you about in all of this. I mean, I feel like you just gave me a whole huge steak that I want to just sit and chew on because there was so much gold <laughs> in what you just said, um, you know, on the days that I eat meat. Um, but I think that um, in terms of, of that, yeah, you've gone from being someone who was a child that, of a mixed race family when that wasn't as common as it is now, but then... I mean, speaking for myself as someone who's lived overseas for a number of years, even that changes you. And I come back to the U.S. kind of being like, hey, everyone, I might look the same on the outside, but in in my brain, I also have another culture kind of speaking in my ear every now and again going, well, like, that's not how they do it over there. Or mm -hmm. why is that? Why is that a, a cultural expectation or you know, whatever it is. Right. So, so you've really got your, your multidimensional, um, influences are, they're pretty impressive really, but it makes sense that you, you don't have like a label that you're like, this is who I am because you are someone who's lived all over the place and who has so many experiences from so many different cultures growing up, which I think is amazing, but I can see how it would be really difficult. And like you said, now you're a part of a weird thing that isn't necessarily really diverse. So what's the, yeah, yeah so what's no, that like? Not even necessarily, it's just not. <laughs> well, I was trying I was uh, trying to be nice. I was trying to be nice. <laughs> to who? <laughs> to all the white folks that are listening? I, know. I love white folks. I love all I love everybody. No. Yeah, um, you know that I, world that you're a part of that's super white? <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh it's rough. It's rough. And uh, and it's and it's sort of interesting and cool being biracial and, and, and looking at this. And then it's also kind of weird in a lot of different ways. And I'm just going to be really candid when I say that, like, I'll work on a lot of campaigns where it's sort of clear to me that I'm like the token person of color on the campaign. Oh yeah. They'll be like, Oh yeah, well we already have four white girls, so we definitely can't have four white people on this panel. We should hire Justina to be on it, you know? And, and maybe that's a little bit of projection, but probably not. But but maybe, maybe not. I, I don't think so. And so I also sometimes feel like, ah, oh, I don't want to be the token black person. I don't even, that's not even how I identify myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. And not because I don't want to identify myself that way, but because it feels inauthentic. If I were to call myself white, that would feel inauthentic, just as it feels inauthentic to call myself black. Mm. Um, it's not a full story of who I am. You know, that's denying my mother's whole side of the family and and that whole culture that I really that is a huge part of who I am. And so I really identify as as being mixed and I identify as being a person of color. And I think that's why I use that phrase so much is because it sort of feels comfortable on me where a lot of these other phrases don't feel comfortable on me. And so I feel weird about being that token person of color 
when I feel like there are, well, first of all, it's annoying that there are these kind of weird quotas at all. And I think that, you know, there are certain companies who are doing a good job of trying to like mix things up a little bit more, but for the most part, it's not, it's, not even like a thought that enters these companies' minds. I work with so many large brands and I've been to the headquarters of so many huge companies. And, you know, I've even given talks at these kind of companies and I'm looking around and I'm literally the only person of color in the room. (laughs) And I'm talking about design studios. So it's like really shocking, you know, and I'm looking around like, wow, I'm the only person of color here that's so crazy. And then in working with a lot of these companies, you see what that means, the lack of diversity, you see how it's translated into the design work and the way things are talked about and the way things are done, because there's nobody there to say, oh, well, maybe we should include this other person. Mm. Or there's, there's just no, you have no, you're not plugged in. Yeah. And so for me, um, it's not even an issue of like, black or white or Latino or Asian or, or any of that. It's, it's more of like, you should want different kind of ideas that come from all different kinds of places and people with different backgrounds. Like for me, it's just so shocking, so shocking how homogenous these things are. I go to trade shows and literally there'll be like three black people there at trade shows. (laughs) Wow. Where there are like thousands of people there. Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's really the word I was going to say is like the design world, if that's what we're speaking about is really missing out because it is so homogenous. And then when someone does come out with something that has a little bit of an influence from a different culture, it's suddenly so groundbreaking, but that's because everybody's, it's like echo chambering where it's just like, let's all get together and have the same ideas and the same references. So when there are people who get brought on as, you know, air quotes, like token black guy or whatever people will say, which is offensive. I find it offensive because it's obvious. Like you said, it's like you're the only person, you're the only person in the room who isn't white. So it feels inauthentic. But what is, what is the answer? What is the way to start bringing about more diversity so that it's genuine and that there is a space and a platform for equality and hearing each other? And how does, how do you do that and do it well? You have to make an effort. I don't think that these companies make an effort at all. Um, I think that it's an afterthought, if it's a thought at all. I also think that you can tell when people or companies are making an effort, and I can give some examples. Yeah, I would love to hear. Um, Design Sponge. Grace makes an effort to include different types of people. Yeah. From all backgrounds, all ages, all sexual orientations. It makes an effort and I think her work is more powerful and stronger because of it. I think Refinery29 is doing an amazing job of inclusion and it's not hard. You just have to be thinking about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think the problem is, is that these companies aren't thinking about it. I mean, I can look through the social feeds of a lot of the companies that I find to be inspiring from a design perspective. And I look on these feeds and I feel excluded. I don't see myself represented. I don't see anyone brown, black, anything. Uh, I have to scroll for weeks and weeks and weeks to find one person of color. They're sizest, they're racist, they're ageist. And I think people are starting to get tired of it. Mm. And I think it's starting to change. And I think we have social media to thank for that. 
but I really think it's as easy as making an effort. I mean, so many companies that I know hire from, you know, the same pools, right? It's the same people kind of like bouncing around. The second you go outside of that for one hire, you're already starting to stir the pot. You know what I mean? Because then all of a sudden you can tap into that person's network. Mm. And all of a sudden, even just that one voice is such a powerful voice to have. I know for me, when I build my team, diversity is an important part of my team. Like I, I want different kinds of people from different backgrounds on my team because I think that makes me stronger. Yeah. It's it's funny that you say that because I've even noticed that about you and your team. And I think it's so beautiful, but I almost hate that I noticed that. I almost hate that when I get together with your team, I'm like, oh, wow, look, they're so diverse. Like, that's so sad that I noticed that as like a good thing. And I think it's like you said, it's not hard. It's about trying. But, you know, I photographed you for Grace's book and I, I photographed so many of the people in her book. And you're so right. Every single time she would send me another email of, you know, can you go meet this person and photograph them? I was always so excited because I knew it wasn't going to be a box. It wasn't going to be like a rinse and repeat. It's going to be the same thing over and over again. It was beautiful and it was really empowering to get to be a part of that. So I love that you mentioned her as someone who is a real advocate. She's an advocate for just humans in general. Totally. And an advocate for diversity. And and that's, for me, that's really what it's about. And, and I don't want to knock my... <laughs> my white brothers and sisters either. Like Hmm. it's, it's really, um, it's not about who's more this, who's more that, who knows this, who knows that, who went to this college or who has this many followers. It's a really about, um, the strength of the group Hmm. and, and what we are all bringing to the table that someone else might not be bringing to the table. And, and I just, I think that together we're stronger And so when I go to blogger events and, you know, these kinds of things where there's like a new product launch or something like that. And I look around and I mean, Joy and I joke about it a lot. Joy from Oh Joy. She's a good friend of mine. She's um, also mixed, um, but, you know, Asian and um, actually maybe Joy's Thai and her fully Thai and her kids are missing. That's what it is. Her kids are Thai and Korean. But she, you know, we kind of look at each other like we're the only people of color in the room, like consistently. Yeah. And, and it's like, no one else even notices. No one notices Mm. um, at all. You know, it's not a thing for everyone else, but we know, like I notice, I notice every time. And it's like, you know, it's tiresome, Mm. you know, at a certain point. And it's not to knock anybody else or the hard work that other people are doing, but it's also just exhausting to be that token person or the, the, you know, like, oh, well, we need a black person on here. So like, let's call Justina. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's just, it's, it's so sad and it's so frustrating. And, and that also puts like kind of a weird amount of pressure on me in, in certain ways and in certain circles, like I'm supposed to represent all the like people of color. Right, right, right. You know, and, it, and so it's, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tricky. It's very, very strange. And I'm such a weird person too. I mean, everyone's weird when you get to know them, but like, you know, I do have such a varied history and I've lived all over the world and I don't know. It just feels, it just shouldn't be that way. 
No, it shouldn't. And like what I'm hearing you say, at least that's something that resonates for me is just awareness and like the mindfulness of choosing if I'm having an event, who's coming and why? Why am I including them? Is it because I value who they are and I value their input? Or is it because, oh shit, I better have some quick diversity so that no one says that it's like a white girl's Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, I I have some projects going on where we're hiring models. Mm. And I have to tell people time and time again, like they'll send me model options. And I'm like, these girls are beautiful. And it's awesome. But can you please send me some more options with more women of color? Can you please send me some options of some women who are different sizes? Like, I have to go out of my way every single day as a designer to make sure that there is inclusion in what I do. And it's, you know, if if you see a wedding line of mine, you're going to see a gay couple mm. in that. You're going to see people of color. If you see a clothing line that I have coming out, you're going to see models of color. You're going to see models who are not, you know, all the same size. For me, it's about diversity and about inclusion. And in order to make that happen on my end, it takes more work. Yeah. Yeah. I have to remind people. I have to send more emails. I have to take longer to get more options. I have to annoy people. Yeah. I have to be on the ball about it. But it's so important to me because we're all looking at these images and we're all judging ourselves based on what we see. And we're all deciding what we can be a part of and how much we can grow and how fat we are or how thin we are or how pretty we are, or how ugly we are based on what we see in the media. And I'm a part of that. So for me, it's extremely important that we are looking at something that feels real, something that feels invigorating, something that feels diverse, something that feels inspiring, and something that represents who I am as a person, which is diverse. Mm -hmm. I am mixed. Mm -hmm. I inside me am diverse. Yeah. And, and we all are. And it's just, it's so tiresome how basic and <laughs> vanilla everything is. Yeah, it's really true. And, you know, Justina, like, thank you for that because I do really notice it and I know other people do too. And even if they're not aware of it enough to verbalize it, it's still making an impact. Even just been looking at a feed day after day that just looks the same has one effect on people. I was listening to a podcast. Uh, it was on being a few months ago and I, and there was a woman on it that was a sociologist and she was talking about how important it is for our brains to even see images of people who are different to us, because even if we're not aware of it, it creates sort of like brain waves that make us more accepting and make us, as we go through our days, we remember, Oh, there are people out there who are different to me and that's okay. And so I notice that you put work into that. I notice that as the years go on, you do have a really beautiful team of people who are all sorts of shapes and sizes and colors. And, and that's really, really amazing. And that everything that you create is really obvious that that's something that you stand for. So even if it's something that you don't talk about in your feed all day, every day, like, hey guys, this is something that matters to me. Your work speaks for itself. And it's obvious Thank that you. you're- that you're making a, making a difference there. Um, Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because a lot of companies are worried about it affecting sales. Really? And, and I think about it in the exact opposite way. Like I have made a name for myself by choosing to do things differently from how mainstream people are doing it. Everyone's going minimal. I'm going maximal. <laughs> no one, 
Everyone's going flowers. I'm going plants. Everyone's going skinny white girls. I'm going fat black girls. Like, <laughs> <do this. laughs> like, so, I mean, for me, it's like, it's, it's also just exciting. It's exciting. And, and what I found is that contrary to what many people think, people are afraid to take risks and step outside of, oh, but this is how we've always done the campaign and we're successful. Why would we switch things up? And the problem is, is that when you stay with that status quo kind of thinking and you're afraid to, you know, shake things up, you don't grow yeah, and you don't change. And not only is that boring from a sort of business perspective, in my opinion, but it's also unhealthy because you're stagnant at that point. You're like stagnant water mm. and, and you need to be able to shake things up and progress and grow and change. Well, and you do very well. So Thank you for being an example. And I mean that I'm not just like, like smoke up my ass. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not this, the, this is the first time I've done like acknowledgement hour on this, on the podcast, but I mean it, I mean it. And I just think it's really, even when I was thinking about starting this podcast at first, it was like, this is going to be a podcast for women. And then I was like, no, I want to be inclusive. I want to have everyone. I, I don't want it to be like, sorry to all my gay friends and sorry to like, no, I'm sorry. This is about doing something different. And even if that means that it's more of a niche thing, like you said, you're creating something weird that is totally different, which might mean that there are fewer people who it's not like mass marketing. It's that's, not some- that's the myth. That's the myth. That's the myth. Okay. And that's exactly what I'm talking about, where it's like, people are like, oh, but if we put a black girl on the cover of this magazine, we're not going to sell as many copies. It'll be more niche. We'll make a statement. So it's okay. But that's actually where I think the myth is. And that's why it's harder to get some of these companies to take risks is because they feel like it's going to be more niche. But then it isn't. You're saying it isn't. I'm saying it isn't. I'm saying it's forward. Mm. So it might take a minute for things to hit, but it will hit. Yeah. <laughs> it hits. It hits. And 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 I also think it's a myth that, you know, you have to look the same as someone to be able to relate to them. So as a mixed person, I I feel this way so often. I remember being a little girl. And watching the Cosby show and looking at Lisa Bonet, who's not that much older than I am, but still like looking at her and thinking, that's what I'm going to look like when I grow up. Mm. Because she was the only like, mixed person wow. <laughs> who, I, who I sort of related to as being the same as me. She's half black, half Jewish. Um, so I was like, oh, she's like me. That's what I'm going to look like when I grow up. But like for me, people who relate to me and relate to the jungle and my brand and all that it has to do with a spirit mm. more than a color. It's a, it's like a, it's a feeling, you know, of being free and a little bit wild. <laughs> I love that. And, and in the beginning, when I started, people were like, Oh, this is too, like when I was trying to pitch my book for the first time, people were like, this is too niche. This is too niche. This is too niche. And I'm sitting there looking at my watch and I'm like, I know y'all think this is niche now, but in two years is what everybody's going to be doing and seeing. So it's not niche. It's forward. Yeah. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. And I agree with you. And the way that I would reword what I was trying to say is that it's not that the Jungalo as a brand is for everyone. 
Like there are some people who are minimalists who are going to be like, oh, that's not me. I don't want that many plants in my house. But they're going to look at what you stand for and look at you as a brand and respect it because it's doing something new and different. And they might say to themselves, how does she do that? How does she stay fresh and original? And how is she creating new things all the time that are getting so much more attention than what other people are doing? And whether it appeals to everyone or not, they, I would say, respect it. That's what I would say is what I meant more by niche. I'll take, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. In the sense that, <laughs> in the sense that not everybody is going to be like, I am a boho queen, sure. but they are going to notice it at, over time and be like, wow, that, that Justina girl, like, what is she on? Cause it's real good. Like she, <laughs> she's churning out some really new ideas and I don't know where they came from, but I want what she's having. Thank you. Thank you. We work hard to try and not water things down. You know, it's not a solo mission. I have an incredible family and an incredible team who support me and support the brand and and help. And I think that the more we're able to, to have these kinds of conversations and talk about things like race and body image without it being such a polarizing subject, like that's what's so shocking to me. Like even just on like, like if you look at like Ashley Graham's I love, by the way, Ashley, if you're listening to this, you're a queen. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, You know, you look on her, she, for those of you who may not know, she's a very, very big model right now. She's on the cover of, um, you know, all kinds of magazines all over the country and, and world. And she's thick and curvy and gorgeous. And, you know, you'll read these comments on her feed and it's, it's polarizing, you know, there'll be like, most of them, I think, are overwhelmingly positive. Like, it's just nice to finally see someone who has a different body shape than what we're used to seeing on the cover of magazines. You know, but then, of course, you have the people who are like, she's unhealthy or, you know, too fat or, you know, whatever the comments are. Mm-hmm. But the point is to be able to open up these kinds of conversations in a way that's respectful and in a way where we're listening And I think with that, and I think social media and Instagram in particular has helped so much with particularly brands understanding that there is a market for people that look different and people who feel different and people who are different sizes and and all that. I think it's the engine of what's changing things and why we're seeing more Ashley Graham's kind of pop up on our magazines and stuff without social media this just wouldn't have happened. Mm. I mean, we grew up in the nineties, you know, like it was Kate Moss. It was Linda Evangelista, you know, it was all those women on the cover of these magazines and none of them looked anything like me. I mean, I can't imagine what it would have been for me to have seen Ashley Graham on the cover of a magazine when I was a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? You know, like that's empowering. That's exciting. That's empowering. That's fresh. And that's, That is the power of social media because they are able to see that hundreds of thousands and millions of people around the country find that to be beautiful Mm. and aspire to be that. Mm. Yep. You know, and, and here they are thinking that everyone is aspiring to be Kate Moss, which is cool. Kate Moss is rad. She's got great style. She's beautiful, but she's just not the only prototype of what people are interested in looking like. Right. And not everyone identifies with how she looks, even if they wanted to. Even if they were skinny white girls, there very few of them can look like Kate Moss. <laughs> so I and that's one thing that I really love about social media and about I think millennials, at least the ones that I know pretty well, there is a real 
desire for something relatable and for something that feels real and genuine. There is such a push against photoshopping and a push against you know, retouching or creating something that doesn't feel real. And so with social media, I'm really interested in that juxtaposition of the reality that we create, that we put out, and the reality that is, and whether that gap is going to get smaller and smaller as more and more people are just getting really real and genuine online, um, or whether that kind of stays the reality versus the, the online reality. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I was looking at Solange's feed, another woman who I adore so much. Uh, if you're listening, you're a queen. If you're listening, uh, please come <laughs> on this podcast. Oh my gosh. She's my ultimate. I love her. She's so fabulous. She posted a picture a few days ago with her face, whole face covered in hives. And, you know, you look at something like that and it gets more likes than the ones of her looking super fly and all done up, you know, and I mean, whatever, she's so natural and so rad anyway, but, but it's just, it's interesting to see that because people are so hungry for realness and for relatability. And, um, we're just, we're fed so much fakeness all day long and, Mm. and everyone can relate to a feeling of I have hives or, Oh, I have a huge zit on my face. (laughs) And like, you know, we all, we all go through all that and it's, so much cooler to just share it than to just only share pristine pictures of yourself. It's just like, that's so boring. Yes. You know, it's so much more exciting, so much more fun, so much more alive and dynamic to be able to feel free enough to share sides of you that are less than between quotes, less than, because to me, that's more than. Right, right. Yeah, but it's like you said, dimensions, like we humans, we're multidimensional and online has such an easy out if someone chooses to be kind of 2D and only share what they want to share. And so it does take a little bit of bravery. It does take a little bit of self-confidence and kind of groundedness. And like you were saying before, like gentleness with yourself to be like, hey, if I do get a hater, if I do get someone that says, you know you need to be more healthy because you're not, your body doesn't look healthy or whatever, whatever the haters yeah. are saying. Or just like you're fat and you shouldn't be wearing a bikini, which is what someone said oh. to me last time. It's fine. It doesn't hurt my feelings. It does not hurt my feelings. And I think that's, that's a really important thing too, is that like I had, you know, over a thousand people comment about how awesome they think I looked. Mm. So the few people who comment like you're fat and you shouldn't be wearing that, like that doesn't, that bounces right off me. Mm. <laughs> like, I'm like that. Actually, I feel sad yeah. for people like that, that that's sort of how they spend their time, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a sad way to be. Yeah, and I that's, agree. That's hard, mm. you know? So I have, you know, in Yiddish they say I have rachmanis. I have pity on people like that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. My hope is that the more that people start being genuine and being authentic and sharing, you know, imperfect selfies and bikinis, that there will be enough of a shift that most people are like, oh, there's no space for trolls. There's no space for haters because we're all in this together and we're all humans and meeting each other, like you said, on the level of what we do have in common and not focusing on what we don't is where the magic happens. That's where really incredible collaboration and just like fun because it's not, it's not like you're different in this way or you should feel bad about yourself because of this. It's like, wow, you're an awesome human. Let's meet at that field and go from there. 
Yeah. And I love how different you are from the way I am. Yes. And, and, and that's gives us this sort of yin yang thing. And, uh, and that's, yeah, I mean, everyone's got so many opinions. I, I'm, it's still, it's always going to be a mystery to me why people feel the need to like <laughs> share so many of their own opinions about other people on their feet, oh. like, you know, but whatever, it, it, it's all good. I mean, I think discussion is good. And I think, um, and I think that in general, for me, I know a lot of people look at, you know, images on social media and feel longing or feel less than. And I think for me, it's actually had the opposite effect. I think, I think I've felt more empowered by the images I see on social media than, than the other way around. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, and there's nothing wrong with taking like a cool Photoshop selfie of yourself either. Like it's fine. You know what I mean? Like it's all good. It's just like, that's just like you get dressed up to go wedding sometimes and you're feeling fly and whatever. And that's, that's one side of yourself and that's awesome. And then also it's fun to share the other side there. It's all the different sides. We're multidimensional people. Yes, we are. Preach girl. Preach. (laughs) I love that. I love that so much. Stick around for part two of this discussion, where we'll dive into the online portion of social media realities. This episode of Out of Line was produced by me, Caroline. All sound editing, engineering, and original music composition by Jaden Lee. And a big thank you to Cat Footwear for working with Out of Line this season. Hit subscribe to get the next episode on your mobile device when it drops next week. And if you love what you heard, please whip out a review, will ya?